actually it's two verses here. Uh, well, we could read in three verses. Um, well, uh, you know, uh, let's start in verse 35. We'll just see where it goes right here. Amen. So this is uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sick and every disease among the people. And you see the order of events there, teaching, preaching, and healing. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the stronger the Christians are, the more teaching you can do. Amen? Uh, and so uh, if, there's, if there's a lot of baby Christians that don't, don't know a lot about walking with the Lord, then you have to do some more preaching, right? Because preaching is really to encourage people to follow the Lord. Uh, and teaching is instruct people how to do that on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and so if, if you're sound in your, in your walk with the Lord, then teaching is the best thing for the people of God. But then preaching, you know, is there to encourage us. You know, it's a good preaching message is, is uh, good every now and then because it encourages all of us. And then healing, of course, you know, so this is really in, in, in reverse order of the amount of faith that people will have. And so uh, Jesus would heal the people, uh, and that was great. But really, God's best is when we understand the Word of God well enough, we can get our own healing. Amen? Uh, so, but is God opposed to providing uh, mercy and assistance to us when we need it? He's not. So we should never feel bad because uh, we need somebody to pray for us for healing. Jesus did this, right? Teaching, preaching, and healing. Those were the three primary things that he did. And it says in verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no what? No shepherd, right? And that word shepherd there, if you go in the New Testament, that word is also uh, translated as pastor. And notice he doesn't say as sheep having no apostle or sheep having no prophet or sheep having no evangelist or even sheep having no teacher, even though he was teaching them. He said that the issue is they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So what should every Christian in the church have? A shepherd, right? And who, who has assigned shepherds into the earth? the Lord Jesus is, right? Because he's the head of the church. Uh, he assigned the fivefold ministry gifts, according to Ephesians uh, 4.11, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Uh, he's, as the head of the church, he assigned those ministry gifts in the church. But he said people uh, will, will faint and be scattered because they have no shepherd or no pastor. Uh, and so every, every Christian ought to have a shepherd or a pastor that, they're, that they are a part of. And, of course, people say, well, my shepherd is Jesus, you know. Uh, you know, he, you know, I'm a member of the church, right? Not a church of the church. And that's great, except for the head of the church. Who's the one who signed shepherds in the earth? Jesus did, right? He's the great shepherd. Uh, and so I'm not the great shepherd. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a shepherd, but I'm not the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd. I'm an under shepherd of the great shepherd. Uh, and so if Jesus assigned uh, shepherds in the earth, then uh, who should the church be a part of in the earth a local shepherd amen uh, and oftentimes people say well i don't need you know i don't need a local shepherd i just need the shepherd well that's great then you need to tell jesus he was wrong and that uh, that you have a better plan than he has right uh, and if and if you have that conversation with him let me know how that turns out amen uh, and so and then he goes right on in verse 37 and says uh, then he said to the disciples he said the harvest truly is plenteous right or beyond measure uh, one translation uh, talks about it being beyond measure. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So when he's talking about the harvest, is he talking about uh, fruits and vegetables? Uh, no. What, what's the harvest that he's talking about? People. Now, we know there are some people that are like fruits, you know. But that's, that's a different discussion. Uh, and so 
Now, the harvest that he's talking about is the people of the earth. He, in fact, in James, he calls it the precious fruit of the earth. So he wants, he wants uh, the laborers to go out and reap that harvest and bring him into his church, right? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with bringing him into a local church. That should be our, our primary desire is to get people into a local church, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be this local church, uh, but if you're part of this local church, that would make sense. Uh, but uh, he, said, he said that there's a, a big harvest. He said, what's the limitation on the big harvest? He said, the laborers, right? Uh, and so the, the thing that I've just been meditating on this is, notice he doesn't say that our job, uh, when he's talking about praying here in verse 38, he didn't say pray that the Lord would save people. Uh, you know, it doesn't say that, right? Uh, because uh, if you think about it, if we say, Lord, you know, save so-and-so. Well, when we pray, the, the purpose of us praying is for the Lord to respond to our prayers and to do that which we, we, we request him to do, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, we don't, uh, he doesn't work for us. But he has asked us to, to pray and do things, and he will respond to that and, uh, and do that which we've asked him to do. So if, if we say, Lord, save so-and-so, how would he go about doing that? Uh, has Jesus gone to the cross? Uh, has the groundwork been laid to save everybody in the earth? Well, it has, right? So is there anything else he needs to do to save somebody? So the Lord saved so-and-so. Well, he's not going to go back to the cross. He's not going to go back and shed blood. So Jesus didn't say, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would save people. He's already done that work. Amen. Uh, and so what he needs instead of us praying, Lord, uh, save so-and-so, we need to, to, to respond in the way that Jesus has asked us to pray. Lord, send people across their path, right? Send laborers into that field of their life. Uh, and to, to preach the gospel to them. You know, the only people who are supposed to preach the gospel is people. There's no angels that preach the gospel. You know, uh, and even Jesus, he's not out preaching the gospel anymore. He's in heaven. He's assigned that task to his church. So he said he, said he wants us to pray that the, the Lord would send laborers into his harvest. So he calls it his harvest. You know, the, these people of the world, you know, they're, they're, they're sinners and they're, they're, in a sense, enemies of God. Uh, but they're not enemies. You know, he said that while we were yet enemies, he, he reconciled us to God. Uh, and so they are not part of, of, of the family of heaven, but he wants us to send laborers into that harvest. So uh, notice he didn't say to, to send uh, evangelists into the harvest or apostles into the harvest or even pastors into the harvest. He said send laborers into the harvest. So who's the laborers? We are the laborers, right? So does that mean we all got to go get a Bible and find a, a street corner and, and preach and holler at people? Well, no, you know, because how we labor is up to the Lord, right? How he wants us to labor to get people into the, into the church of the Lord Jesus is uh, up to him and how he wants us specifically to do that. Very, uh, very few people are saved by street preachers, right? The vast majority of people uh, are saved and brought into the kingdom of heaven by a personal relationship with other people. Amen. When you know somebody and... and a lot of preaching the gospel is living the gospel in front of them. I mean, uh, Paul told Timothy, be an example of a believer, right? So living right and being kind to people and showing that there's a way. Uh, you know, uh, I know, it's interesting because I've been meditating on this all week. You know, a lot of times people say, well, the most important thing to tell people is that Jesus died for their sins. And, and you know, again, uh, we, we come up with these ideas and we lay this groundwork for things that, the, uh, if you think about it, uh, did Jesus die for our sins? 100% he died for our sins. 
is that the most important thing to tell people? You know, I don't know because, I mean, if you, if you look at the plan of redemption, was the end of redemption the, the dying for our sins? No, it wasn't. In fact, it was really kind of the beginning of the, 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 the work of redemption was dying for our sins. But what has to occur after that? Uh, has Jesus died for everybody's sins? Sure. I mean, is there anybody in the world that their sins have not been paid for by the blood of Jesus? Nope, not a single person. Amen. So does that mean everybody going to heaven? No, it means that, uh, that that's just that's his part of it. But uh, until they get across the finish line and come into the kingdom of heaven by accepting the Lord Jesus, uh, in one sense, the, the dying of their sins hasn't done them any good. They have to receive that work uh, by a laborer telling them, hey, you know, God wants better for you than than living the way you are. Uh, and if you go through the plan of redemption, and, and of course, you don't have to go through all the technical aspects of it. But uh, but the good news is. God wants to be in you. That's really the good news. You know, it is good news that God uh, died for the sins. Uh, but the, the best news is God wants to be in you to, to encourage you every day, to remind you every day that he loves you, to give you wisdom and understanding and peace and strength every day. That's really the good news. And that's really the end of, uh, of redemption is the good news is God wants to be with you every day. And, and uh, uh, he said to fellowship with you every day. And to, and to speak to you every day. That's the, that's the good news. Amen. And we as laborers can go into, into the world. We have the best plan that we ought to be able to sell the world. Uh, your future is, is set. Your eternity is set. And this life on this earth is also set. The Lord, he said in his word that he wants days of heaven upon the earth. That, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he wants for you. That's good news, right? And so he wants uh, all of us. Now, all of us are laborers, right? It's not just the people. It includes the pastors and the evangelists. But when I'm out in, in the field laboring in the, in the world, I'm not laboring as a pastor. I'm laboring as a laborer of God, right, as, as a Christian uh, of God. And so uh, he said, pray. He said, there's not enough laborers. He said, labors are few. The labors are too few right now for the vast harvest that's out there. Uh, and so... So who in the church uh, should be laborers? All of us, right? Uh, and, well, I don't feel comfortable preaching on, you know, on a street corner. Well, that's not what the Lord, the Lord didn't tell us to, to get on a street corner and preach, amen? Uh, he doesn't go in the whole world to preach the gospel. But uh, how that looks, it dependent upon uh, on your life and what the Lord has called you to do, amen? Uh, and so all of us, do all of us know people? All of us know people, right? So all of us can, and, and you know, you don't have to, uh, you, you, you should always operate by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Because you may know somebody for six months and never say anything about, uh, about Jesus or about the, the Bible uh, because they want to see if you live. Uh, because people are smart, right? Uh, well, some people are smart. You know, there's a few people that aren't. But, but for the most part, people, people know. And, and they would rather see you live as a Christian without you just telling them that you're a Christian. Amen. They, you should have, uh, you should be uh, able to be found guilty in a court of law of being a Christian. Amen. Uh, some people, they'd go to the court of law and, and the, the judge like, uh, we're going to throw the case out. There is no evidence, you know, that you are, uh, that you are a Christian. We can never convict you of being a Christian. Amen. You should be convicted beyond a, a reasonable doubt that you are a Christian. Amen. By the testimony of your life. Uh, and so, but I just want to encourage you in that this is part of all of our lives to Lord, uh, uh, let me be our laborer for you. And show me and encourage me when you want me to speak, when you want me to say, when you want to do things, uh, and um, increase your kingdom. You called you called it the precious fruit of the earth. 
And so uh, if you consider them precious, Father, then I'm going to consider them precious. Uh, and so, Lord, let me be a laborer. And then if there's family members, you know, that sometimes family members are difficult to talk to, uh, we can pray, Lord, send a laborer across their path. You know, sometimes they won't listen to you as a family member, but they'll listen to other people. Amen. So you can, Lord, uh, send laborers. So that's, uh, that, that's how we should pray. Lord, send laborers. Amen. And also, Lord, send me as a laborer. Uh, we shouldn't pray, Lord, save them because he's already done that work. He's waiting on us to do the next step. Amen. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you, you know, on the back table there, there are these invitation cards. And, you know, these are a good way to just uh, kind of break the ice with people and, and um, encourage them to get them into church and, and um, because they need a shepherd. Amen. Everybody needs a shepherd. Uh, and it's to their advantage to have a shepherd in their life. Amen. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, I think that's all for that. So why don't we stand and greet each other for just a minute, and then we'll get into praise and worship. The very breath in our lungs, and worship you with it, and declare your goodness in the earth, your kindness in the earth. Father, you've given us the breath to breathe. We thank you for it, Father. We worship you, Father. We worship you and you alone, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Father. You are great and greatly to be praised. You are the Most High God. Father, we are children of the Most High God. Thank you, Father, that you are our very own Father, and we are your very own children. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness and kindness, Father. Thank you for your mercy, wisdom, and grace. Thank you, Father, for strengthening us with all might in our inner man's, Father. You've given us light. You've given us the ability to see, Father. And not just in the natural realm, Father, but to see in the realm of the Spirit. To see your plan and will for our lives. To see the steps that you've ordered for us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for goodness and mercy. Thank you, Father, for loving kindness. Father, we'll give you all the praise and honor for these things. We thank you, the Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? Amen. We appreciate his goodness and kindness. Amen. We thank him for watching over us and speaking to us. You know, we have a right and a privilege to live a supernatural life on this earth. Amen. <clears throat> a supernatural God lives on the inside of us, and he desires us to live a supernatural life. And so um, that's really what distinguishes the church from every other social organization. If you take out the supernatural of the church, we might as well change the name of this building to be the Moose Lodge, right? Uh, and we could all wear funny hats and have secret handshakes, you know. And um, when the parade comes, we can get funny little vehicles and ride in the parade, right? And um, that could be our life. Would that be super exciting? Amen. Uh, and so I'm thankful that uh, we can live a, a bigger life. Amen. You know, and the smallest Christian resides more power than, uh, than the whole world can contain. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes we think less of ourselves than we ought to. Amen. You should never think less of yourself than the Lord speaks about you. If he, if he said you're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, then, then is that true or not? It's true. If he said you're a child of the Most High God, then is that true or not? 
It's true, amen? If he says he loved you, uh, then, then uh, is that true or not? And it is true, amen? Uh, and you should think that way, amen? You should never belittle yourself. And I know a lot of Christians who belittle themselves. I'm, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. You're a child of the Most High God set uh, for a destiny in heaven for all eternity to live with the Lord Jesus. That's a pretty good place, amen? Uh, and to think less of you than that uh, is really diminishing what the Lord has actually done for you. It's really, uh, in one way, diminishing the work of the cross, doing the work, diminishing the work of the blood of Jesus, amen, doing the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And, uh, you know, we don't want to be on that side of, the, uh, of uh, history, do we? To diminish the Lord and say, well, Lord, what you did wasn't sufficient. What you did wasn't enough for me. I need more. Uh, I need you to send two sons to the earth, uh, maybe a daughter and, and a couple of dogs and cats, you know, because your son wasn't enough, amen. None of us would think that or say that or articulate that, at least if we have a brain. But sometimes we act that way, amen, that what he's did is not sufficient. It is sufficient, amen. It's plenty enough, amen. In fact, it's more than enough. And so we're thankful, thankful for that, amen. And so we are continuing here in uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 7. And, of course, the whole rest of the chapter 7 is the continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. And he finishes that in this chapter and so we're working our way through the chapter. Uh, we are here in the first part of the chapter where he says in verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. And, um, you know, I think a lot about these verses, especially the beginning of chapter 7. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, if you look at like, the history of the church as a whole, uh, especially in, in the, the denominational churches, and I think even more so in the Pentecostal churches than anywhere else, we have judged people nearly to death. Amen. We have nearly judged the life of God out of the church. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, uh, and what's happened because of that is other groups of Christians have wanted to go to the other side of the ditch. Amen. We, you know, we, we have the hardest time staying in the middle of the road. Amen. You know, my car's got this little, this little button. If you push this button, it'll warn you if you get uh, outside of the lane. Amen. And, of course, you turn it off because it's annoying. It's like, I mean, you know. Because you don't want to be free to use the whole road, right? You don't want to be constrained in just one lane. But, but uh, you know, that constraint is there. It can tell you when you're out of the, Well, But we as a, as a church, you know, we're just like, uh, you know, me driving. I want to turn that button off, you know, because I, you know, I don't want to stay in the middle of the road. I want to go over one ditch. I want to go to the other ditch. We just have a hard time finding the middle of the road, amen? Uh, and so in response to the church nearly judging everybody out of the church, then other churches have risen up and said, we won't judge you for anything. You come as you are and stay the way you are the rest of your life. And that's a terrible thing to do, amen? I, I was in a youth meeting one time. I wasn't speaking, but I was just there. And they had all the youth get up, you know, come testify. And so many of the youth, almost uh, without exception, kept saying the same thing over and over. I'm just thankful that God accept, accepts me the way that I am. And, and that, was such a, that was so important for them. And yet, it was just breaking my heart, everyone that went up there and said that, because... Uh, in one sense that's a true statement, but it's an incomplete statement. Yes, God does accept you the way you are. The minute you receive him, he wants to make you better. Amen? And to make you better, he's going to give you a list of things to improve upon in your life. And whatever they may be, get rid of that sin. Get rid of that attitude. Pray more. Read more. Be more like him. He's going to, he will never allow you to stay the way you are. Amen? He will allow you to come in the way you are, but he will never allow you to stay the way you are because he cares about you. Amen? Uh, to say that, that you want to stay the way you are is a sad statement. You really want to be the way you are for the next 50 years? 
Amen. I'm so glad that you all didn't know me 30 years ago. I've been married 34 years ago. I'm glad none of you all, except for, you know, a couple here, knew me the way I was 34 years ago. Amen. And they are sworn to secrecy, right? Uh, you know, what was he like 30? We can't tell you, right? Uh, and so, because we get to grow up, amen? We get to change. You get to be better. I don't want to be the way that I am. Because uh, when, I, when I got saved, I started reading the Word of God, and I got so much hope seeing how I could be and knowing how I was and thinking, I, you know, Lord, I don't have to be this way the rest of my life. Just so, so touchy and so easily fraught with, with fear and anxiety and just anger all the time and just, uh, just you know, just because that's how I grew up. And I didn't, I didn't want to be that way, but I didn't know how not to be that way. And you start to read the Word of God, and you see the hope of, you know, Lord, I don't have to be this way. So it's a sad thing to say, Lord, I want you to accept me the way that I am, and I want to stay that way forever. That is not, that is not a, should not be a goal of our life. Lord, I want to be exactly the way that I am, you know, and never change. And, I, you know, I, I know people oftentimes as they get older, I'm not saying when they're old, but as they get older, oftentimes, well, that's just the way that I am. Don't ever say things like that. That's just the way you are. Because what you're saying is, Lord, that's the way that I am, and I don't want you to ever correct, correct me and request that I change and to give me any grace or, uh, or mercy to allow me to change. I want to be the way that I am till I breathe my last breath on the earth. And if you say that, you know what the Lord will do? Look, okay. He won't make you change. He'll be like, all right, dummy, stay the way you are. You could have days of heaven on the earth, but apparently you don't want them, so just stay the way you are. Amen? If that's what you want, you know, if that's, if that's your primary goal, I want to be exactly the way I am till forever. You know, I tell my kids all the time, you know, how old are you? They'll tell me, I said, you're too young to be in a rut. Well, I, you know, I don't like eating that, you know, like whatever. I don't like doing that. You're too young to be in a rut. And I can ask all of you, how old are you all? You don't have to tell me right now, but how old are you all right now? Were you too young to be in a rut? Are you breathing air? Then it's time to change. Uh, you know, that that's, should be your attitude, amen? Yes, God does, he does not reject you because of how you are. But he doesn't allow you to stay the way that you are for the rest of your life. And, and that's the balance the church finds so hard. And so in response to, to us in the Pentecostal and denominational churches, uh, judging people nearly to death and judging people already, well, you're on your way to hell. I haven't, I haven't even died yet. Uh, and, and, you know, Jesus even told the Pharisees, he says, you're in danger of eternal damnation. He didn't, he didn't send them to hell. He said, you're in danger of that, which is true, right? Everybody who's not a Christian is in danger of hell. But are they breathing air? Then they have a shot to not, to not go to hell. Amen? Amen. Uh, and so, uh, in response to that, then churches rose up. Well, you just come as you are. We'll let you, you do anything in the church. And then it just ends up being a house full of sin. And, never, and nobody ever changing. And, and it just, it's a terrible place to be because just sin running rampant in the church. Uh, and, and you see that in certain groups because uh, they think, well, one way to grow the church is to allow anybody to come in the church and to remain the way they are. So we have to find a balance. It's so hard to find that balance. It's so hard to find that middle of the road that Jesus operated in and live there. Because uh, the, the hardest thing for the church to do is to live by uh, the instruction and, and the, the, uh, being led by the Spirit of God. We prefer to have laws. This is the way it is every single time. There's never an exception. Uh, and, and, and Lord, don't ever tell me how to do anything different. I'm going to do it this way. You sin, off with your head. And the Lord's like, yeah, but that person, you know, is willing to change. Off with their head. Yeah, but they said they want to repent, you know, to the gallows, to them. And it, well, you know, maybe they want to change. And maybe they came here to find how to change. 
I, you know, every Christian does not necessarily want to get out of sin. I understand that. But a lot of Christians, even sinners, you know, well, I know I'm a sinner. I, I, I just don't know how to change. Well, then come to church. We'll show you how to change. Amen. We'll show you how to, how to accept the Lord Jesus. But even in the church, sometimes there's people who are sinning. Lord, I, I just want out of this. And instead of finding the grace to help them get out of it, we want to shoot them in the backyard and bury them back there. And at the end of the day, they're like, you know, I just wanted to change. And they end up with a black eye and they leave church. And you talk to people who used to go to church who don't go to church anymore. I can guarantee you the number one reason why they don't go to church is because somebody was judging them. Somebody was pointing their crooked little finger at them and you're on your way to hell. And all they wanted was for somebody to tell them there's a way out. And nobody would tell them how to get out. They just judged them for being the way they are. And so uh, we need to find the balance in that. Amen. Do we approve of sin? We do not approve of any sin. Do we accept sin? We don't accept any sin. Amen. But on the other hand, do we excuse away sin? Oh, they're just having a hard day. Oh, they just have needs. Oh, they. No, we don't do that either. We find the balance. You know, the, the love of God, what, what's, uh, for, for me, one of the definitions the Lord gave me about the love of God, it, it, it makes the most sense to me. The love of God is that he wants the very best for you. But it's defined by his word, not by my thoughts. The very best for you is uh, to live a life free from sin. That's the very best for you. Amen? Uh, and, and so it's, I don't define what's the very best for me. The Lord decide, defines what's the very best for me. Because people say, I just, want to be, I just want to do what I want to do. Well, see, that's terrible. That's very short-sighted. Because what you want to do is stupid, right? Or sinful, or, or fattening, or, or whatever it is. It, it's, you don't have enough intelligence to know that what's the very best for you. But there is somebody in the universe that does. His name is God. His name is Jesus. He knows the very best for you, where you'll be the happiest, and the most fulfilled, and the most at peace. See, wouldn't you want that? Uh, you think, well, I, you know, I'm happy in my sin. That's not the happiest you could be. You could be happier without that sin. There's no way, 100% way, guaranteed way, that if you follow God's plan, you'll be the happiest and most joyful that you'll ever be, free from, from anguish and free from the pains of life. That's the very best for you, is following God's plan for you. And we get in rebellion. Well, Lord, I want to do what I want to do. That's, that's dumb. That is somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. Because if you really knew God, you would know that he wants the very best for you. And the very best for you is always to follow his plan and will for your life. And, and so we've got to find that place. Amen. Uh, so much of the church will either uh, condemn you to hell for every sin you make or approve of your sin and celebrate it. Well, that, that surely can't be right. Either one of those surely can't be right. Amen. Uh, and so let's look at, uh, I think it's one of the best examples in the Word of God. Turn over to John chapter 8, and we'll, we'll look and see how Jesus operated. Now, the thing about this is, is this a law? Is this how you operate every situation? No, it's not a law. Amen. We don't, we don't respond in every situation this exact way. Uh, the, the best way, you know, the, the answer to grace about how grace operates is when a situation comes up, uh, what should you do? The answer for grace is, it depends. Well, we don't want, it depends, we want a law. Off with their head if they do this, and, you know, accept them if they do that. Well, no, the grace says, well, let's just see what the Lord wants to do. That's what grace says. Grace says, well, we know the word, but, you know, the word, the word of God covers every scenario. Off with their head, I mean, sometimes Jesus said, your whitewashed sepulcher is full of dead men's bones. Did he respond to every way, in every situation like that? 
He said, you are of your father the devil. Did he operate every single way with every single person who was in sin that way? No, but he did operate sometimes that way. Amen. Sometimes you've got to be straightforward with people. Uh, and sometimes you've got to give them some grace. Sometimes, this is really hard on us, sometimes you even have to give them mercy. Amen. Uh, and so, so what's the answer? Well, the answer is you have the Spirit of God inside of you. Find out what he wants to do. And, 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 and so uh, if our resp- first response is every time there's sin off with their head, well, we're out of balance. If the other answer is every time someone sins, oh, it's okay, honey, you're just having a bad day. Well, that's still wrong. Uh, some, some people in the church, uh, I, I've observed, they have the hardest, th- hardest time of just looking at somebody going, well, yeah, yeah that's wrong. Uh, because because it, for them, with well, that, I don't want to judge. Well, if the word of God says that's wrong, then are you judging them? Is adultery wrong? Is, is there ever a scenario when adultery is, oh, it's okay. They're having a hard day. It's okay. No, there's never a scenario where that's okay. Amen. So you can look at that and say, well, that's wrong. But, but the, the next steps, and that's not really judging them because the word of God has already judged them that. The next step is what's issued. Well, then out of the church for you. Well, now you've judged them. Right? Now you've crossed the line into now I'm going to sentence you to punishment for your sin. Is that your job? You know, it, that, the problem is we take the job uh, of the Lord oftentimes. That's why I say all, all the time, I am no man's judge. That is not my job. I'm not paid to do that. I've not been called to do that. I've not been created to do that. That is not my job. Well, you mean you're telling me just they can do whatever they want to? I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you if the word of God is clear, I will tell you what the word of God says. But even that, you know, I'm not going to sentence you to punishment based upon my own whims. If the Lord, said, if the Lord tells me to, to, to tell somebody to leave the church, I don't have any problem telling them to leave the church because I'm still not judging them. The Lord's judged them. But then other times, if they're in sin and they're in church and, and the Lord doesn't say anything, then I'll just leave it alone. You mean, you, you know they're in sin, you don't do anything about it? Well, I mean, you know, uh, how many of us in here have no sins at all? Anybody want to raise their hand? <laughs> we'll pray for liars here in just a minute, right? Uh, nobody in here is perfect. Anybody perfect in here? I mean, I'm perfect, but anybody else in here perfect besides me? Well, no, and I know I'm not perfect. I've been married 34 years. Ask my wife, you know. She probably has a list, right? Oh, yeah, he's got a, you know, you want a whole thing? What's that? You don't have a list? <laughs> you know who does have a list? The Lord Jesus has a list. He, I know he knows all my mistakes and failures. Amen? Uh, and so, uh, the, so the, the, the issue is not, you know, we talked uh, last week about, uh, it's, not, it's not an issue to observe the failings of other people, right? Remember what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 7, if you see your brother with, with, with a, a, a twig in his eye, he said, first get the beam out of your eye before you help him. So you've observed that there's an issue with your brother. He didn't say it's wrong that you've observed that. Amen? Anybody, anybody ever seen the faults of other people around him? Well, it, it, if you come to church at all, you've observed somebody with a fault. Amen? And, and usually you should walk by the mirror first. Right? I mean, that should be the first place that you see that the, the error is in the mirror. Amen? You know, some people, you look at them, it's like, I don't think they own a single mirror anywhere in their life. They've never looked in the mirror. Do you own a mirror? No. I've got like full-size mirrors at my house, right? I look at them and go, wow, man, there's a lot of work I've got to do right there, right? Uh, but, but some people, all they do is looking for everybody's failures. And, you know, some people do that because they're so insecure in their own life and got so many errors in their life that they try to deflect any attention from them. But, you know, God sees everything. If we would live with the, with the thought in our hearts that, you know, God sees everything I do, everything I say, that'd straighten up half the, half the problems in our life right there, amen? Uh, and so, so Jesus didn't say that the issue was that you've observed a failing or a fault in somebody's life. 
Because see, sometimes the church is like, I don't want to see, no, I don't, I, everybody's perfect. Well, that's not true. But then you got other people in the church that everybody's wrong. And, and all they do is looking around, you know, trying to catalog everybody's failures. Just get out of that business. It's not your business, amen? If you see a fault in somebody's life, well, you know, unless the Lord says something, just pray for them. Lord, show them. Let them see that the, that the path that they're on is not a great path. It's not a path of life and, and peace. Amen. Uh, and so let's see what, what Jesus did here, because we, we've missed this balance in the church. Uh, he said, uh, let, let's start in verse 1 of John chapter 8. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of, Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, he sat down and he taught them. You know, much of Jesus' ministry was teaching. Amen. Uh, the church needs to be taught. Uh, and not preach that all the time. Uh, primarily preaching is for the lost, amen? They're the ones who need to be encouraged uh, to come to the Lord. You're already in the Lord, so let's teach you how to, how to stay there and grow in that, amen? And it says in verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, don't you love that? Master. They're trying to butter him up. Uh, you know, we should be immune to flattery. I am completely immune to flattery. You don't tell me I'm so wonderful? I already know that, so I don't need, you know, it doesn't change anything, amen? I'm a child of the Most High God. How can you improve upon that? I mean, that's just the way I see it, right? You know, sometimes people butter you up and, and, and you can't, I don't say anything, but if you could see what's going on on the inside of me, I'm just going blah, 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 you know? Uh, one time when Jared was just like, he's like uh, first or second grade, something like that, uh, you know, in the morning you got stuff to do, right? So Chris was just, you know, being mom, just, you know, brush your teeth, brush your hair, you know, uh, straight, make your bed, you know, get clothes on, take a shower. And, and, and so one day she just rattled off all these things and he looked at her and just went, blah, 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 blah. This is the funniest thing, you know. <laughs> I still laugh at it, you know, it's still funny. Uh, and because uh, it's just, just like, you know, because, you know, he's like, like six years old. After the first commandment, he didn't hear anything, right? Because it's like, what would you say again? You know, you can't give a six-year-old that list of things and, okay, I'll, I'll do all those things, right? There's no way. But, but you know, sometimes we get, we get caught up in that. Uh, and so, you know, people start flattering you. A good response is just on the inside, you're going, blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, nothing wrong with encouraging people and telling them, you know, they did a good, great job. But flattery is there because it's insincere, right? You're just saying something because you want to get something out of them. So what are they doing? They're just trying to flatter. You call them master master you know just like because they're they're not sincere they don't really consider him their master right uh they're just lying about it and so the scribes and the pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery now you know uh uh, let's see we're all adults here right so how many people does it take to actually commit adultery It, it takes two people right I mean, you know, I know in our world today, in our insane society, they may, well, you know, one person can do it. I don't know, but, 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 but basically, according to science, it takes two people to commit adultery. Amen? So is somebody missing in this conversation? Who's missing? Well, the guy. Like, I mean, isn't there a guy, right? I mean, you know, we're, we're going to talk adultery like, you know, like we would think adultery is, right? <clears throat> uh, so take, they, t- they brought him a woman taken in adultery. Well, where's the guy? We don't know. Right, uh, being suspicious person that I am, I'm suspicious that they, they set a, set the guy up. They paid the guy off. Hey, you go, you know, commit adultery here because we got we got some other things we want to do. Amen. So, because <clears throat> we don't know, it doesn't tell us, but uh, uh, but I'm pretty sure, knowing the scribes and Pharisees, they, they set the whole thing up. And that's my opinion. I know, but 
uh, but they brought her and set her in the midst. And they said, a master, this woman was taken in the very act. Where were you? What is going on, weirdo? Right? I mean, you, you creep into somebody's window? I mean, you know, this is weird. The, the whole thing is weird. Amen? And, and so no, they, they don't want to talk about snooping and spying on somebody's, you know, private matters here. Let's talk about that. Right? Let's back up a little bit. Well, before we get to, get to discuss adultery, how did you know this was going on? You said you caught in the very act, right? So where were you when this was going on? Creepo, right? A weird old person. <clears throat> and so uh, they didn't want to address that. Uh, but sometimes, you know, it's sometimes helpful. To, well, let's back up a little bit, right? I mean, let's back up a, a hair here and, and discuss some other things, which would have made them very uncomfortable, amen? Now, it says, now Moses uh, in the law, I always love when they try to bring the law to Jesus, you know, uh, John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. Was God. So Jesus is the Word. He wrote this law that they're, taught, they're telling him about. You know, the Moses said about the law, and Jesus is like, you know, I am that. I wrote that, right? I'm the one. I am the law. Amen? <clears throat> and so Mo, uh, Moses and the law commanded us that, thou should, that, that, that such should be stoned. But what say you? So now, in verse 6 says, This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. So, so what's the accusation? What's the concern here? What, why are they trying to tempt Jesus? What's the, what's the goal here? Well, the goal, uh, and you, know, you have to read other scriptures if you go, we're not going to go over there, but in John chapter 18, when, when, they were, when they brought, remember, they brought Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate said, You know, you just deal with him. This is your law, question of your law. It's not a question of Roman law. You deal with him. But see, uh, what they said is, well, no, I'll just read the verse uh, 31 there. It says, then Pilate said, take ye and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. So what happened when, when, when the, the Roman Empire uh, invaded and took over Israel, they said, just, just you know, uh, you got your own local laws, just, just run your country by your local laws, except you cannot kill anybody with capital punishment. We're going to remove that from your right privilege. You cannot do that. We reserve the right for capital punishment to ourselves, and, and you can live and do whatever sacrifices you want to do, you know, uh, keeping the Sabbath, we don't care. But you're not allowed to, to, uh, to commit capital punishment on anybody, even though it was in the law, right? Because that's what he said, if they're caught in a very active adultery, Moses said to stone them. But the Roman Empire said, yeah, you can't do that. And so what are they doing? Well, they're setting, trying to set Jesus up, put him in a, in a catch-22. And the catch-22 was, on the one hand, if Jesus says, well, no, we can't stone them, they're going to say, well, then you don't follow Moses. You're not a follower of Moses. So they're trying to, try, trying to make him look bad, right? They're trying to say, he, he's telling us to no longer follow the law of Moses. And on the other hand, if he said, yeah, go ahead and stone her, uh, then they said, okay, thanks. We're going to go to the Roman Empire and say, hey, you need to arrest this man because he, he is violating your law. So they're trying to put him in a position that, that he can't get out of. Well, there's nobody smarter than the Holy Ghost, is there? There's always a way out. You think there's not a way out? Ask the Lord, there's a way out. I don't, there's no way out. They put, you know, they say, well, you, you mean you don't have to do this? You don't have to do the law? Did Jesus say you don't have to do the law? No, because he's smarter than all of them, right? And they, so that's why they're tempting him because they're trying to get him in a situation there's no way out, that he either has to violate the law of Moses or violate the law of Rome. 
and he could get the people to turn on him if they violated the law of Moses, and he'd get the, 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 uh, the leadership of, of Rome to arrest Jesus and throw him in prison for violating his law. So they think they've got him, right? And so that's why, I'm, you know, my opinion is they set the whole thing up to, to get Jesus, because they hated Jesus, right? And so they're trying to set him up. So, uh, and, and so it's, it continues in verse 6, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Uh, of course, that's in italic, so they, they, the translators added that. But, you know, it's, it's always helpful to not be under any pressure when people are trying to say things to you. It's better to listen to what the Lord wants you to do. Better to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's telling you in that moment. And a lot of times people are talk, talking to me, saying things, and as they're talking to me, I'm listening to the Spirit of God. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want to say, say what do you want me to say to them? Uh, you know, I remember one time uh, we were uh, in a conversation with somebody, and they were really upset because, you know, they were three years old, and even though they're an adult, you know, they act like a three-year-old. Uh, and, and they were just telling me, give me a what for. You ever had somebody give you a what for? Telling you, they were telling me how sorry of a pastor I was and how I don't teach the people anything and, and all you all starving because I never feed you any, any of the Bible, right? You don't hear anything. And uh, Is that true? How many Bible verses do we go through all the time, right? Uh, and so, but it wasn't true, but they were just upset, amen? Uh, and just going on and on. And when he, you were there, right? It's several minutes of this, you know, telling me how sorry of a, of a pastor I was and preacher, you know, it, we don't do any ministry around here and blah, 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 blah. And as they're selling, t- telling me this, I'm talking to the Lord just in my heart. Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say to them? Right? What, what do you want me to, how do you want me to respond to this person? Because I don't care what they're saying, you know, especially if it's not true. Uh, what matters is what do you want to do, Lord? I mean, I can come out swinging and say, in fact, I did say it after the whole thing. Uh, I said, everything you said, and, and I said this, you know, by the Spirit of God, I said, everything you said uh, just now, I said, there's a thousand reasons why everything you said is wrong. And see, they're not the kind of person who'd like to be told they're wrong. And so, you know, sometimes you have to do that and tell them that because it just made them more mad, which I don't care. My goal wasn't to make them mad, but my goal was to get them to appreciate that nothing they've said is true. And, you know, they're the kind of person who thinks that everything they say is gospel and written in heaven. And some people just, they're just you know, they live in such a way that there's nothing they say is true, especially when, they, when they're so judgmental and judging everybody. See, what, what he was doing was judging me. And, and passing judgment over my life and ministry because they were mad uh, for whatever reason. Amen? A lot of reasons why. And so, you know, I told them everything they said was not true. Uh, but then I said, Lord, how do you, what do you want me to say to them to help them? <clears throat> and, and you know what the Lord said? Nothing. There was nothing I could say to help them. And, and I just, in that moment, my heart was just grieved for them that, that, even the Lord Jesus himself, there was nothing he could do to help them in that moment. That doesn't mean we're going to die and go to hell, but, but they, they were beyond help until they repent. Amen? Uh, and they may be that way the rest of their life. They're the kind of person who just thinks they're always right about everything, you know. See, I don't think I'm right about everything. I think I'm right until, until the Lord gives me more information. I mean, I believe everything I, I believe is 100% right, but if the Lord gives me more information or other people give me more information, well, then I can consider that and see maybe, maybe they're... But I don't second-guess myself. You know, some people, they, they, they never think they're right. <clears throat> you can't be a person of faith if you never think you're right. Amen? Uh, so it's not about being prideful. It's you have to have faith in what you believe. Uh, and, and then if the Lord tells you there's, there's more to it than that, then allow him to do that. Amen? Uh, and so, <clears throat> so there, there was nothing to say, right? It says, as if he heard, as, as though he heard them not. 
See, it doesn't matter what people say. It matters what the Lord wants you to say about what people say. Uh, and so uh, sometimes you just have to act like you didn't hear anything. Amen. And so when they continued asking him, verse 7, he lifted up himself and said to them, uh, so this, this is the, the great wisdom of the Most High God, right? There's nobody smarter than the Holy Ghost. And so he said, yeah. Basically, he said, yeah, you're right. Moses did say to do that. Moses did say to stone them. He's not, he's not arguing, well, you know, that law is no longer effect. He didn't argue that case because there, that, that would have been a losing, a losing battle. And he didn't say, well, you know, we could do that, but Rome said you can't do it, so we can't stone her. Then, the, then that wouldn't have been good either. But what he did do is he, because he knew he's listening to the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost saying these people are so fanatical that none of them would ever say that they were beyond sin. And so what did he say? He said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And so what did he say? He agreed with them. You know, sometimes it's okay to agree with people. Yeah, you're right. Go ahead, uh, stone her, but here, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, you who's without sin, uh, you, you guys start. You start the deal because you're the most qualified to, to tell her about her sin since you have no sin. So you go ahead and you start, you start the whole deal. Amen? Uh, and, and, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who, who, who think that, right? I mean, uh, I don't know that you could even say this today. If you said that he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. You know, there's going to be one guy to the crowd go, okay, here you go. I don't got a single sin. Let me start. Now, the Pharisees would never do that, right? Because they, they were the, the, the doctors of the law. The scribes would never do that. They were the doctors of law. But you get a lot of dumb people today. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got one right here. I'll start with this rock right here. Uh, and so, uh, so the wisdom for today might be different than this because, you know, there, somebody would surely have picked up a rock today, right? Uh, because they don't know the word of God nearly like the Pharisees did. But see, this is the wisdom of the Most High God. There's no way to get out of this. Catch 22, there's no way to get out of this unless the Lord has a, some brilliant response, right? And, and that's one thing I love about the Lord is, is he had so many perfect ways to answer people. They thought they got him, and he would answer in the most perfect way that there's no way out. Uh, and yet he found a way out, right? He that is without sin among you, let him, uh, let him first cast a stone at her. So uh, up to this point, did Jesus argue anything about her sin? Did he say, well, you know, that wasn't really a sin because, you know, act of adultery, you know, they were, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, did he excuse away her sin? Did he say she had needs? Did, did he say it wasn't really that bad? Has he addressed her sin at all? No, not, not specifically at this point in time. Uh, and so uh, he did do that. And, and, and at, right after that, after verse 7, again, he stooped down and wrote, wrote on the ground. Well, what do you reckon he wrote? We don't know. Could have been a recipe, you know. Could have been anything, right? Uh, uh, we don't know. He's probably writing something like, these, these people are so dumb, right? Uh, but we don't know, right? And so, uh, and it, so it doesn't matter speculating because there's no, no insight about what they could be. Uh, and it says, and they which heard it, in verse 9, being convicted by their own conscience. Well, what, they, what were they convicted about? Well, the only way I can do this is to, is to say that I have no sin. There's no way I could do that. So, so they're, they're being convicted by, uh, by the Spirit of God, right, uh, that, the, that they're wrong. They went out one by one, beginning at the what? At the eldest or the oldest, right, even unto the last. You know, you got to say something for, uh, as we get older, we all get to grow up. And at least the older people said, you know, this is a losing battle right here, because if I, if I pick up a rock, I'm declaring I am without sin. 
and that, that would be foolishness to, to say that and to do that. And so at least the older guys, the younger guys, I think I can do it. I, I, you know, if the older guys pick up a rock, I'm picking up one too. You know, the, old, the younger guys always full of zeal uh, and, and, uh, and passion. The older guys at least have a little wisdom. Even if they're the wrong in this whole situation, uh, at least they have enough, uh, enough uh, knowledge and been around for a while to know that this is a losing battle and it would be foolishness to say I am without sin. So they left, they left first, even the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. She, she didn't leave. Uh, and so, because she knew that he was the master and she, she was awaiting the judgment from the Lord Jesus about what he said, what he would say to her. Uh, and when Jesus lifted up himself and said, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Condemned her to what? Condemned her to death, right? Uh, that was the condemnation that was, that was due, rightfully due according to the law, right? If you're committed in a very act of adultery, uh, you were to be stoned. And you know, the, the law, if you go to the book of Galatians, it talks about the law was written because people were just out of control. You know, uh, the law is not necessary for the righteous. If you're always doing right, you know, if everybody in the world would do right and, and walk basically by the love of God, there's no need for any laws. No need for laws for stealing or, or adultery or, or no laws about, about embezzlement. There'd be no need for any laws if people would just do right. Amen? So the laws are necessary for the unrighteous, not for the righteous. Uh, and so uh, the law was written because they were getting so out of control, the Lord said, look, we've got to have cons- some constraints here. Amen? Uh, and then, you know, some of the laws were pretty harsh, like adultery, and you get stoned. But the, the desire for the Lord is, I've got to keep the nation of Israel as pure as possible because they're the carriers uh, of, uh, of both the oracles of God, but also the carriers of the bloodline of Jesus, and we've got to get Jesus into the earth. So, so he, he held them at a higher standard than the rest of the world because he needed them to, to be alive long enough to bring the Lord Jesus into the earth. That was the whole plan. And so, yeah, there was some pretty harsh punishments there. But see, these, these sin would get in, in there, and they would just fester, and then everything would be messed up. You know, the nation of Israel survived for centuries, you know, not, not perfectly well, but, you know, mostly okay through, through the law of Moses, right? And after, of course, uh, after Moses. So, so from Abraham, when the covenant was first established, so Moses was over 400 years, and they, they made it okay in that period of time. But after, after a while, the Lord's like, look, we've got to put some, we've got to lay down some constraints here. They're getting out of control. So then they wrote the law, right? The law, the book of, uh, starting with, uh, the, well, the law is where they consider the book of Genesis through Deuteronomy, but mostly Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is, is the primary uh, location of the law. And the, and the, the Jewish uh, uh, scribes and Pharisees will tell you there's, there's about 400 laws specific laws, you know, don't commit adultery, don't do this, don't do that, uh, about 400, 300 something uh, specific things that they're required to do or not do. Uh, and that was there because they were out of control. Uh, but see, if, if you're perfect in, in the Lord, there's no need for a law because you'll never do anything wrong. Now, and so he said, uh, hath no man condemned thee? And she said, uh, no man, Lord. Now when she said Lord, she meant it. The Pharisees were, were lying when they called him master, but this, this woman knew that, she, that he was the master, and so she called him Lord. Uh, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and what? Sin no more, right? 
So now, now here, here's the balance that the church has missed. Did he uh, acknowledge that what she was doing was wrong? Did he call it a sin? He called it a sin, didn't he, right? Did he excuse her adultery? Did he say, well, you know, it wasn't a big thing. He was a, he was a dirtbag anyway. You know, it's okay. You know, well, you know, their marriage is over anyway. You know, it's okay. Did he excuse her sin away? Did he say it wasn't a big deal? Uh, no. But did he also say, well, you know, it, it's not really sin. You know, I mean, if you do that, it's not really, did, did he excuse her sin away in that regards? No. What did he call it? He called it sin, right? He, he called it a sin. So did he, did he shy away from the reality of what she was doing? No. Did he excuse away? Did he? And so that's, you know, that, again, the church has, has can, we can't find this balance. Over here, it's like, well, it wasn't really adultery. Jesus said it was adultery, right? He specifically, he said, go and sin no more. Go, stop doing what you're doing. But did he also, then he, did he, on the other side, did he condemn her? Well, if you're doing that, then you're a terrible person and you don't need to be among us. Did he do that? No, he said, go and sin no more. So did he reject her? You know, you're no longer part of the nation of Israel. You're no longer part, part of this community. You've got to leave. Uh, did he do any of that? No. So he found the middle of the road. He found the middle of the road. That, uh, for this person, the best thing for her was to recognize, hey, you know what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop doing that. You're harming yourself and people around you. Uh, and and is, that, is that a perfectly acceptable response in some cases? Well, Jesus did, right? Anything wrong with act, acting like Jesus on occasion? Nothing wrong with that. So, you know, this is, to me, this is such a good story of how to find the balance in the church is you don't have to ever uh, say that well, sin is not a sin. You remember what we read, we read in the book of Isaiah a few weeks ago about how they say, well, you know, uh, sin is no longer sin. You know, right is wrong and wrong is right and black is white and, uh, you know, just everything opposite world. That's kind of where we live in today in today's society, right? Opposite world. Well, we don't have to live in opposite world. We can live in the reality of the Lord, uh, and we can recognize, we know, uh, remember back Matthew chapter 7, you can see the failing of somebody else. You can see the, the errors of somebody's life. What's your response in, to that? You know, now, now she, they brought her to him, so she was in the presence of Jesus. You know, in this case, he said, well, well you need to stop doing that. Now, there were, again, other people, he said, you're just whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. So uh, the, the response is, well, it depends. You mean you won't, you won't just blast them out of the water? No. Well, why not? Well, because sometimes the, the, all, all you have to do is tell somebody, hey, you know what you're doing is wrong, you just need to stop that. You know, there's, there's sometimes people are just, they get themselves caught up in a situation. Uh, it was of their own doing, right? Nobody, did anybody make her do it? No, nobody made her do it, but she got caught in the situation because of whatever failings in her own life but sometimes people just want to find a way out. I don't know how to get a way out. Amen? And sometimes if, if somebody in church would be kind enough, you know, hey, just stop doing it. You know, what you're doing is wrong. You know it's wrong. Just stop doing it. And, and a lot of times that will bring relief to somebody. You know, you're right. Thanks for telling me I'll do better. Now, some people, you can't say this because they're going to get mad no matter what. You know, and, and so for me, see, for me, there's no law. If I see a moat in somebody's eye, Lord, you want me to say anything about it? No, okay. You want to do anything about it? No, okay. Well, then, Lord, just help them, encourage them, show them that on the path that they're on is not the good path. It's not the best for them. It's not your, your perfect will is days of heaven upon the earth. You could show them that. Sometimes you'll show that to people through other people. Sometimes you'll show that to them just by the Spirit of God in their life. 
<clears throat> and so what, what's the response of the church when we see the failings of other people? There's no response. There's no, there's no law. There's no legal response that we should uh, approach every sin exactly the same way. In this case, he said, I don't condemn you. Other cases, he was pretty hard on people, right? In this case, he, he said, I don't condemn you. He said, it is sin. You need to stop doing that. Uh, and so this is such a hard thing. to. But is this, is this the way Jesus operated? Why did he write on the ground? I'll tell you why he wrote on the ground. He's waiting to hear from heaven the instructions that he's supposed to give both the, the people. You know, the, the thing, all these people, that these terrible people that are bringing her, he loved them too. You know, a lot of times the Lord will remind me of people who do things against me. You know, I love them just as much as I love you. Well, that can't be so, Lord. You surely love me more than them because they're terrible people, right? That's what we want to say a lot of times, but it's not true. He loves all those terrible people bringing things to you that's trying to be unkind to you as much as he loves you. And if we would remember that, see, then we're willing to at least uh, entertain the thought that, Lord, there's something here. There may be something here you want me to do specific to help this person. Instead of blasting them out of the water, instead of shooting them in the kneecap, burying them in the backyard, maybe there's something I can do to help them. And if we would open up our hearts to the Lord, you know, he could show us. If we would spend time in writing on the ground, Lord, I'm not going to say anything or do anything until you instruct me about what the doers say. And he will give you the thing that's best for that person at that moment of time. Sometimes the best thing for a person is to tell them, hey, you're in sin, you need to stop doing that, but you know, we're not going to throw you out of, out of the fellowship of the church because you're doing that. Did he throw out of the nation of Israel? Did he say you're no longer an Israelite? You're no longer a member of the, the covenant of the house of Israel? No, he didn't do that. Amen. So why, why are we always, as soon as somebody commits a sin in the church, off with their head? And why do we all, on the other side, is, is they're not doing anything wrong? Well, yeah, they're stealing. Well, you know, they're, they're having a bad day. Well, no, we don't, do we excuse sin? No. But uh, is it our job to run around and tell everybody about their sin? How many people did Jesus walk by all the time? Remember, it said uh, multitudes, great multitudes would be around him. How many times did he tell them about their sins? Very rarely did he ever call out anybody's sins. And yet, did he know about all the sins? He probably knew about every single one of them. Did he call them out? No, sometimes he'd just teach them. Sometimes he'd preach to them. Sometimes he'd pray for them, even if they were wrong. Uh, and so, <clears throat> if we could find the balance of the master and live like him, then people wouldn't be so afraid to come to church. Now, look, you're, you're always going to have some people, I can't go to church because I want to live in sin. Well, then, yeah. I mean, if you, just, if you never want to change... Well, then church isn't for you anyway because, I mean, the Lord is all about change and us looking more like him every day. And if, you, if you've set your, uh, uh, your anchor in the ground that you will never change, you will never, you will never find a church that's a real church uh, that will hook up with that. Amen? But at the same time, when people come in and they've got failings in their life and, and, and problems in their life, are we going to condemn them when they walk in? How is that helping them? The, the, again, the love of God wants the best for everybody. And the best for somebody in that moment is for you to sit right on the ground and not say anything until the master speaks and tells you how to respond to them. And if he, did, if he tells you like, the, like that person uh, that I was dealing with, nothing. Then I, I didn't give him any instruction. In fact, at the end of it, I said, you know, I hope you find a pastor uh, that, that can help you. And that's all I said, because, uh, you know, I could have rebuked them and told them why they were wrong about everything they said. I did tell them everything they said was wrong, but I didn't, I, I didn't help them. There was nothing I said, well, here, you know, book, chapter, and verse, here's why this is wrong, you know. that I could have done that if they were, if they were willing to hear, but see, in that moment, they were unwilling to hear. So, so there was nothing. And the Lord said nothing. So, so then I responded with nothing. 
Uh, and well, is that wrong? It's not wrong if, it's, if that's what the Spirit of God wants to do. Because uh, in that moment, I could not help them. But my sincere desire was maybe there is somebody out there that can help them. Uh, and, you know, sometimes there is. Amen. I mean, I know I could help anybody. If you want to hear the word of God, I could help anybody. But some people don't want to hear the word of God. Some people, you've got to pet them, you know, tell them you're wonderful and, you know, it's okay, honey, you know, bless your heart. Uh, that's not me, right? I mean, that's other people. And so you need to go to those people. I'm going to say, well, you know, that's sin. You should stop doing that, you know. Now, I won't be unkind about it, but I can say, well, you, you should stop doing that. <clears throat> and, and my goal is whenever I tell anybody anything that I don't do it with an unkind heart. Because a lot of times people say things because they blast you out of the water. Well, I showed them. Showed them what? That God doesn't love them? Amen? I don't have any problem saying, you know, go and sin no more. But see, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Well, you know, you've you got to be hard on sin. People preach, you know, bang on the pulpit. You've got to preach hard against sin. You know, uh, the, the blood of Jesus that paid for our sin was not the end game. The end game was the Spirit of God inside of you. Amen? And if we stop at the cross and stop at the blood of Jesus, we leave everybody hanging. Amen? We've got to get people all the way where they're filled with the Spirit of God and know the love of God in their own hearts. Uh, and, and that's the ultimate goal of redemption. Amen? And so, we're about out of time today, but, uh, but we've got to find this, if we could find this balance, see, then we can let people come in with all their mistakes to the church, amen, not approve of any of their mistakes, not accept their mistakes, but just love them, amen, and write on the ground until the Lord says speak. And if the Lord says, doesn't speak, if the Lord never says to speak, then just leave it alone. Well, Lord, you got, they got to know. You know, they all know. Every sin in the world knows they're in sin. Every Christian in the world that, that's in sin knows they're in sin. <clears throat> and, and so uh, sometimes they just need a way out. Amen? Uh, because what happens oftentimes is people are, are, are in sin, and even if they repent, the church still won't forgive them. The church still won't accept them. And that's the thing that's just beyond me. It's like, you know, uh, I sinned 20 years ago. Oh, yeah, we well, can't come around here, right? I mean, you know, we, uh, the, the best example, I think, is marriage and divorce, right? Well, when did you get divorced? Uh, well, it was, you know, 87 years ago, Tuesday. Oh, yeah, you can't come here. It was 87 years ago, right? Uh, have you repented? Yeah, 80,000 times. Well, one time is sufficient, but, you know, not for the church. We need you to repent at least a dozen times. But for the Lord, one time is sufficient. <clears throat> and, and so, you know, well, that's not good enough. Really? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't get it, you know. Uh, we've all got faults and failings. We don't approve of anything. We don't accept of anybody's sin. But at the same time, it's not my job to judge you. Uh, and what if they never get out of it? Well, that's between them and the Lord. Amen? And, and you know, there are, there are times. I mean, we've got all kinds of examples. We can go through the scriptures. There are times when, uh, you remember uh, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 5, he said, you should have got rid of this fellow. He's sleeping with his, with his stepmother. Uh, and he said, I've handed this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. But in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, you need to receive him uh, back and walk in love with him uh, because, he, because apparently he'd repented. And Paul said, it's okay for him to, to be among you. He was sleeping with his, with his stepmother and, and, and repented, and we have to accept him again? Yeah. Well, I can't do that. Well, you need to grow up. Amen? Because Paul said to do it. Because, see, because uh, he said, if you don't do it, then you're going to cause this man to stumble. How many people have stumbled because the church would not forgive them? Even though they have repented, the church wouldn't forgive them. Uh, and now, now they're out in the world, ha have walked away from God because they can't find a place 
where the, where the people will love them. Amen? Again, the balance is we never accept sin. We don't approve of sin. We don't, we don't say, this is, you come and sin all you want to here. That's not, you're, on the wrong, you're on the wrong place if you think that's where we are. But at the same time, it is, I'm going to ride on the ground. Well, what's your response when they sin? I'm riding on the ground. Why? Because I haven't heard from heaven yet. And until I hear from heaven, I'm not saying anything because I am no man's judge. If my first thing is off with the head, then I'm no different than the Pharisees and the scribes. Amen. You want to be a Pharisee and a scribe? Oh, yeah, I'm a Pharisee. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. Amen. Because uh, they were the least favorite people in Jesus' life. Amen. He was the hardest on the, on the Pharisees of any group of people because he said, all you're trying to do is you're keeping people out of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what the church has got to do. We keep so many people out of the kingdom of heaven because we point our crooked little finger at every, everything they do <clears throat> and, and demand justice and, and a head to roll because we're, we're so perfect. He, uh, was Jesus perfect? He, he was the only one righteous enough to actually condemn her to death. And did he condemn her? No, he was the only one qualified to do it, and yet he didn't even do it. Uh, and so what, what, where are we at? Amen. So can we find that balance? You know, if we would just give it up, but see, people get so mad about sin. And, and you know, I think part of it is a smokescreen to hide their own sin, right? Well, yeah, I'm going to point my finger at them because I don't want anybody seeing me. <clears throat> you know, if you just live a life that's open, you just don't care, right? I mean, you, 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 I've had people come, well, you, what you said was wrong, really? And then it's like, well, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, I repent. Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, we'll go. You know, one fellow, he, he called me up one time, and I'd done some stuff for him, and he's bragging on me, telling me how, you know, how wonderful I was because I did this thing for him. And again, after a while, I'm just hearing blah, 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 blah. So I just quit talking, right? Oh, you're the most wonderful. I can't believe you did that for me. You're so wonderful. And, and so I just, just cut it off, right? And he's like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong, you know? Uh, is there something wrong? And, and, and he kept pushing me, and finally I said, look. And, and so I tell him, I said, you, you act like a child, right? Uh, you just, you could have just said thanks and gone on with it, but you know, you, you're so immature, because he was, he was, he, he was always feeling like he had to butter everybody up for everything, you know, uh, and, and, um, and so, you know, uh, I, I wasn't mean to him, Chris actually heard it, you know, she may have a different opinion of that, uh, she was uncomfortable with me telling him these things, uh, but you know, sometimes people are uncomfortable when, when you call them out, amen, uh, and so, so uh, several weeks went by at church, you know, so he comes up in the, in the sound booth and says, you know, you offended me. And he never said anything I said was wrong. He said, I offended him. You know, sometimes telling people that they're wrong uh, offends people. Well, it's not my problem, you know. I mean, it, it was I correct? Well, then, you know, the Bible says lie not against the truth. Uh, and so you offended me. And so, you know, I just looked at him and said, well, I apologize for offending you. My intent was not to, to offend you. And it just took all the wind out of his sail because he, he was like, he just wanted to really hammer me for that, right? Not be, he never said I, anything I said was wrong. He was, it was offended that I, I said those things at all. And, and so, I just, okay, well, I, I, my, my intent was not to offend you, and it wasn't. And so I ask you to forgive me. And he's like... He just didn't know how to respond, you know, because uh, I'm not the Lord Jesus, you know. If he says something, he, he has no need to repent because he never makes any mistakes, right? Uh, and, and, you know, now, look, I don't apologize to everybody for everything I say. Uh, and even if I offend somebody, you know, I don't always apologize for that. But in that moment, you know, I felt like it was okay to, to apologize to him for offending him because that was not, not my intent. 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, you've got you to gotta walk your own path. And, and if the Lord says don't repent, then don't repent. Amen. I don't care. Because uh, I didn't really do anything wrong. And my intent was not to offend him, even though he took offense at what I said. Uh, and I can understand why he took offense at what I said, because he's a child, right, and immature. And so, you know, of course, you don't know who he was. Chris knows who he was. But it wasn't a very immature person, right? A very immature person, right? Uh, and so, <clears throat> now, am I going to tell everybody that every time I see anything wrong? No. If you're a very immature person, am I going to come hard on you? No. It just, you know, I'll ride on the ground. And then I'll hear from heaven. And if the Lord says, do it, then Katie, bar the door, right? If the Lord says, say nothing, then I will say nothing and walk away and be happy about it. Amen? Because he's smarter than all of us. Amen? So can we find a balance? Can we do that? Can we, can we work at that? Especially, again, in, in, in our circles, right? Especially the Pentecostal charismatic churches and denominational churches. We're really bad about off with their head. Amen? And, but we're going to find the balance and not, well, if you're sinners, you know, we want you all to come here. No, you know, I want you to come here if you want to change. If you want to find a, a way to change and the power to change and how to change, then you're, you're in a great place. If you want to come and, and flaunt your sin uh, and, and brag about your sin and never plan to change, you will not be happy here anyway because we will talk about things and, and that will make you un, uncomfortable, right? Because uh, we're all about change, uh, looking more like the Lord Jesus, amen? Now, and so can we do that? I think we can do it. Jesus did it. He was pretty successful at it, amen? And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God, and, Father, we thank you for the example that you gave to us. Father, in every situation, there's no law. In every situation, the only law that governs every situation is the law of love. So, Father, sometimes before we speak, we need to write on the ground and listen, to, listen for heaven. Before we say things, Father, oftentimes we need to, to keep our mouth closed and wait for a voice and words from heaven. Uh, and then, Father, we can speak. And then, Father, we can say and declare. Uh, but before that, Lord, uh, help us to, to hear from heaven. Help us to desire to hear from heaven, Father, in every situation. So, Father, we thank you for that. We give you all the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, praise God. Uh, we kick over any golden calves today? You know, maybe, I don't know, but um, it's, it's all good. Amen. Uh, let's get ready to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And... Um, <clears throat> I would just encourage you, you know, meditate on these things, right? Meditate, meditate on, especially John chapter 8, in that story, amen? We want to follow the example of the master. Uh, and and uh, he, he did not excuse away her sin. He recognized her sin, but he also did not condemn her, amen? Uh, and, oh, and we're gonna, before we receive the offering, let's, uh, you got time to uh, uh, communion, right? Is that okay? Uh, we might, uh, the Baptists might get ahead of us if we do that, but uh, it'd be okay, right? Uh, and so, <clears throat> praise God. The Lord is good. Amen. Amen. And so, as, as we get ready to receive communion today, uh, Jesus had to do this in remembrance of Him. And so, uh, our desire in receiving communion is to remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Amen. Uh, and uh, how big is the plan of redemption? The big plan, right? How many things does it cover? It covers so many things, right? Um, and yet, the Lord Jesus said, I need you to focus on these two things because going forward, these are two important things to remind yourself about. Uh, and so, of course, the first one is, is the juice there, which represents his blood. He said, this is my blood of the covenant. And so, uh, if you remember way back when uh, he established a covenant with Abraham, as soon as Abraham said yes, then that's when he instituted the, the uh, 
circumcision. Blood was shed to establish the covenant. Uh, and uh, for, what, for whatever reason, that's an important thing to shed blood, uh, to establish a covenant. Uh, and so the Lord Je Jesus did it when he established the new covenant, he shed his blood. So that's why he said this is the blood of the new covenant, right? This is the blood of my covenant because blood was shed. And this time it was his blood. It wasn't Abraham's blood or the blood of bulls and goats. It was the blood of God himself. <clears throat> and so that's a big topic, right? I mean, you could, you could preach a lot of time just on the blood of the covenant. Uh, and yet he decided, you know, it's enough. Uh, uh, humanity has shed enough blood and bulls and goats have shed enough blood. I'm going to shed my own blood for this next phase of the covenant. And he said, remember that. Remember that I shed blood for you. Uh, before that, people shed blood, animals shed blood, but now God has shed blood. And so uh, that's what this represents, is his blood that was shed to establish a new covenant in the earth. And that's a pretty big deal, amen? He said, remember that. Remember, I shed blood for you. Uh, you know, Abraham had to shed blood for his covenant. God shed blood for my covenant. Uh, and so we're thankful for that, amen? Uh, and, um, uh, and then the bread uh, represents, he said, this is my body. This bread represents my body broken for you. And it's interesting because he said, uh, in, when he's talking to the Syrophoenician woman, he said, healing is the children's bread. And so if this, is his, if this, is, uh, this bread represents his body, then healing comes from the Lord. Uh, and, and it belongs to us. This bread belongs to me. He said, I, gave, I give you this bread. This is, represents my body. And he said that, that my body was broken for you. And specifically, he said that by his stripes you were healed. And so he wanted us to remember both the covenant and the healing. So why is healing such a big deal? Well, because healing is such a hindrance to the, to the plan and move of God. Hindrance keeps people from, from fulfilling God's will in their life. Amen? Uh, and so he wants to remind us that we never have to be subject to sickness and disease like the rest of the world is. And we have the strength and the ability to complete his plan in the earth. And so let's thank the Lord for, for the, this covenant today. So, Father, we do thank you for the blood covenant that you've shed uh, for our benefit. Father, it's a great covenant. It's a better covenant, Father, based upon better promises. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we receive this juice, which represents your blood, Father, uh, with faith and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. And, Father, we thank you for this bread, which represents uh, your body, Father. We thank you, Lord, that it, it uh, uh, reminds us that we can live free from sickness and disease, free from, from aches and pains, Father, and live life uh, completely well and whole all the days of our life. And we receive it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. We'll, we'll, um, Jared will come and, and collect that. We got these out of order, didn't we? Right? I thought about that after we drank the juice. Now y'all going to be like... <laughs> no, what's that? There's no law, right? <laughs> Everybody's going to run for the, uh, for the refrigerator and get a drink of water in a minute, right? Um, I got choked on a, a piece of communion bread one time in church. I had to leave the building. because It gets, it gets stuck in the back of your throat, you know, because it's, it, it's dry and crusty, right? Anyway, the Lord is good. Amen. Uh, and so... You think it'll stay, still work if we got it out of order? I think it's okay, amen. Uh, and so we're thankful for the Lord. And so we'll, Jared, come ahead and receive the offering. We're thankful for the Lord giving us 
uh, income to bless us, to uh, provide for us, amen. And it's a small thing for us to give back to him. In fact, uh, I was reading when they were, when they were uh, praying uh, in the old covenant in the temple, um, they were, they, they were pray, the prayer was, Lord, uh, everything we have is yours anyway. So we're just giving back to you what you gave to us. Um, that's a good way to think about it, amen. Every penny you have came from the Lord anyway, so you're just giving back to him what he gave to you, amen. And so uh, it, it's, a, it's a blessing to give. It's an honor to give to the Lord, amen, to, to his work. And so uh, don't forget we have healing school today at 3 o'clock. Uh, we've started a, a new book here, uh, Bodily Healing and the Atonement by Dr. T.J. McCrossan. And um, it's a good book, amen. It's, a, it's just a good book about uh, the healing was paid for us at the cross, amen. Uh, and so be blessed. Have a wonderful week, Lord, and you're dismissed.